Geographies is an art commissioning project coordinated and produced by nine organisations from the East Contemporary Visual Art Network. In 2017, members of the public were invited to nominate overlooked and forgotten places across the six counties of the East of England. Then followed an open call for artists to propose a new public artwork inspired by any of the nominated locations. A diverse and exciting group of 10 artists were selected and commissioned. Over the past three years, we've been working together to realise their ambitious projects, engaging with local artists, residents, schools and communities across the region and further afield. My name is Laura Wilson, I'm an artist and I've been working with Norwich Castle on the New Geographies Commission over the last two years to research Must Farm. Must Farm is an archaeological site and also a working quarry which is based near Peterborough, um, about 10 minutes or 20 minutes from there, very near to Whittlesey um, in the Fenlands. The work was responding to the view from the North Brink across the Fens, which was nominated by Edward Humphrey. Um, and that view kind of shares a landscape with the site which I was responding to, Must Farm. Must Farm is an archaeological site which is um, based on the edge of a working quarry. The reason I start, I was interested in responding to that um, particular site was um, it followed a collaboration that I did with an archaeologist called Dr Melanie Giles in 2017 um, in Hull as part of City of Culture which was a commission with Invisible Dust um, and as part of that commission I was responding to part of the collection within the Hull and East Riding Museum of Quernstones um, and I made a work called Milling About, which was um, looking at the evolution of grinding grindstones over time. So how they kind of went from saddle querns into um, beehive querns, but also how, what that effect was on the human body. So the traces that could be found on the body um, in the way that muscles were, were kind of um, decomposed, but on, on skeletons so that archaeologists can kind of look at that in their research. So Melanie and I really wanted to continue our collaboration in some form and when the opportunity arose to apply for new geographies, Mel and I started talking and she suggested that I get in touch with Mark Knight who is the lead archaeologist on the Must Farm dig and he he's part of Cambridge Archaeological Unit and she, she said oh you must get in touch with Mark, um, you guys will get on so well. It's a really interesting dig and I think because Mel knew my work so well um, she was able to, to put us in touch and um, so Mark and I met um, in Kettle's Yard just before my um, interview for New Geographies and I talked to him about my work and my interests and he shared with me you know his research on Must Farm and um, was very keen to work with me should my commission go forward um, which of course it did and I spent the last two years really researching really working very closely with Mark and um, Lizzie and Len and the rest of the team at 
Cambridge Archaeological Unit accompanying them on, on their digs, but also because the archaeological site is within this kind of working quarry, a brick quarry. So it's also there's a different type of work that's happening there all the time as well. So I think something that very early on became really important to me was this relationship that Mark and the archaeologists have with the quarry workers. Um, and it's this kind of amazing symbiotic relationship where when the quarry workers are there digging for the, the clay, to dig the clay for the, the bricks, the archaeologists are there at a slightly different level, kind of excavating these um, smaller layers of, of ground and clay and, and uh, soil. Historically, the Fenlands would have been seen as like a black hole um, in the archaeology because of the surrounding landscape is so flat. But what makes Must Farm so exciting is what they find um, deep underground in the Fenlands. Um, its exploration of deeply buried deposits is transforming how archaeology is seen because they've been able to get such a snapshot of prehistoric life and it's revealing an unexpected level of preservation in terms of the stuff that they find. So there's there's no other examples of a prehistoric site in the UK that's been so well preserved. And what I find so exciting about it is that it, there's still evidence of the traces of the people who've once lived there. For example, the archaeologists have excavated vessels which still have food in them and the spoon which they were eating with. So it's as though it's just been abandoned. I feel like through the objects and the types of finds that they find in the, in the dig that you could almost touch those people 4,000 years ago. So the fact that the, the, um, the archaeology in the, in the Fenlands, people didn't, because it's so flat, in particular the landscape is so flat, they didn't think that there was that much archaeology there. So it's so rare to actually find such a dig that's completely packed full of stuff. So, for example, they have found textiles which have survived for 4,000 years. And the reason they survived is because of the unique kind of landscape of this kind of like wet material that, that the textiles have been preserved in. Because of this relationship between the archaeologists and, and the quarry workers, it's so impo important. Um, and I think otherwise they wouldn't be able to, um, the archaeologists wouldn't be able to do what they do. Um, and over the years, they've built up this fantastic relationship. So Alan and, and Kevin, who are the quarry workers that I worked a lot with whenever I, over the last two years, you know, they've been, they kind of manage the site and they dig these huge deposits. And I think they've, they've also, for me, it feels like they've developed a kind of sensitivity over time responding to the way that the archaeologists work, you know. So, like, if they find something, they'll stop digging in the ground and, you know, give Mark a collar. They'll come and have a look at the site. But it also means, that, so the original kind of must farm dig itself is only one small section of the landscape and because the quarry workers are continually digging for clay 
it means that the archaeologist can keep surveying the landscape and it keeps pushing back. So it's changing all the time. And um, I think Mark speaks really beautifully about how the, the, the kind of changing levels of the Fenlands, the way that it's on these different different levels that Whittlesea is on a kind of slightly higher level or lower level than, than Peterborough and how water is so important. So I think in terms of the finds that they have found, you know, the fact that there, there are these textiles, um, it's so rare that they've found that on an archaeological site of this age. Um, but it is because of the water and this, these kind of levels of preservation and that too, as well as the wood that has been found, um, the dendronology. So they're able to kind of date the site in prehistory, which is really exciting. Less than. Mineral components. Two alternating fabrics. Two alternating fabrics. Fabric unit one. Fabric unit one. 30%, 30%, very fine quartz, 50 to 100 micrometers, 25% microsparite, 50 to 200 micrometers. I first went on site in September 2018 and I had to wait actually a little bit over the summer because they had to wait for, for from the quarry to get the go ahead before they could start doing any excavating, but um, also because they had to clear the ground of of um, animals and and rehouse things that live 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 there. So I went on site with Mark. I met him in September 2018, and it was kind of amazing. I've never been on to a quarry before, and I think something that really struck me was the scale of it. The fact that the quarry itself is just this huge hole in the ground and it's something that you don't really understand until you're standing there in the landscape and that you can see these sorts of layers and the different colours of, of the clay and relating that I think also for me to other objects within the landscape so be that other bodies but also you know kind of diggers or the different types, types of trucks that are moving around the landscape and also so when, when the archaeologists are on site there, they have a kind of temporary home. So they have a mobile set up so that they can, that's their sort of site office. So when I first went there, Mark took me on a tour around the um, site and explained to me the sort of history of Must Farm, but also his his personal relationship to the site and how the site sat, sits within the Fenlands in this kind of like changing landscape. And when... We we when I first went there as well, they were kind of mid digging a section of the landscape, and it was so exciting because they um, knew a little bit of my, about my work from Mark, I suppose. But they had found a cornstone that day, and they were so excited to show it to me. And it was also just such a coincidence that cornstones was something that I had been researching in a previous project with Mel Giles but that had kind of connected me with this one and um, we had a, a really interesting conversation around that they also showed me some of the other finds that they had um, found earlier that week so um, some flint but also some arrowheads. I then went again to visit Must Farm a few months later to, to visit it again and I think the thing that really struck me that time was how much the landscape had really changed 
I really couldn't get over how how different it looked. And I think that's something that I really hadn't expected. The fact that these huge bits of material had been kind of moved from one bit of a site to another. Um, so in terms of the, the scale of it, it's just on a, on, a, on a scale that I hadn't really imagined. So the work has really evolved through um, the conversations with Mark, but also conversations with Alan and Kevin, who are uh, work with Fatara at the quarry. Mark and I, of course, have had kind of regular dialogue over the course of the project, both on, on the phone, but also in person. And as I've been accompanying him and his team on digs, and I've also been down to their unit in Cambridge a couple of times. It was quite interesting for me as well and important in the relationship that I developed with Alan and with Kevin because they work with the site every single day. The the, the quarry is open 24 hours a day, um, seven days a week throughout the year. And both of them have, it's been a big part of their life. They've, they've both worked there for about 30 years. And so they know the site intimately. I guess my initial introduction to the site was through Mark, but this relationship with Kevin and Alan really became very important in terms of my research. So I spent a lot of time going around the site in their Land Rovers um, or their, their trucks, either down to the brick factory or into the quarry itself. Um, I got a tour of the whole site from Alan. And I guess like alongside all of these sort of conversations that I was having with all of these people, so with Mark, with Lizzie and Len and all the people at the unit, but also with Fraterra, I was documenting all of this with my camera as well. So it, for me, that just became a way of recording what I was doing because it didn't feel right to be, you know, either like making notes all the time or it wasn't practical because I was in a, in a big truck kind of being driven around the place. Yeah, in terms of the work developing, I think very early on I started as a way in by researching the textiles because for me that felt like something that had a link with the craft work on the site, which is something that I was really interested in exploring because it was in terms of previous works that I've made, a lot of the work that I have been making is to do with certain crafts or things that are passed on from one person to another. So particularly those things that are only really learned through doing. So one of the first things I did was make contact with Susanna Harris, who um, is the textile specialist on the Must Farm project. Um, she's based up in Scotland. So I went up to visit her to find out about her research. And she showed me some examples of cloths that had been made which just to, I guess, kind of reproductions of what they would have made at Must Farm based on things that they'd find. And in terms of the, the kind of detail, it's so sophisticated um, and actually really unexpected. It looks just as fine as the cloth on your jeans or on a shirt. So I decided to 
take up a, a weaving course for just a short course to learn how to weave because I thought perhaps that might be something that I would um, you know would, would kind of perhaps I'd make costumes or weave something as a kind of outcome for the project it sort of evolved into a slightly unexpected direction that ignited a conversation with Mark based on some of the weavings that I made. Um, quite early on, I realised that it was important for me to somehow realise a performance within the the site, within the quarry, particularly because I was interested in bringing a body into that space so that you could get a sense of scale. As I am, you know, the, the Fenlands is incredibly flat, but also the, the depth of the quarry is actually quite deceiving. So I think, yeah, from early on, I felt like a performance was something that I was quite interested in exploring, but it was also trying to figure out how that might be possible, because obviously it's not a site that is normally accessible to the public. So I started conversations with Mark about how this might happen and, and how many people that would be, would it be possible to do? So I showed Mark some of the windings, which I made as part of this process of, of learning how to weave. Um, and the windings were inspired by the images and some of the footage that I had filmed on site researching with both Mark and with Alan at Must Farm. And what I guess I felt from all of those photographs, and I think if anyone is, is familiar with the Fenlands, is that the sky is, there's just this huge, huge sky. And for me, that was present in all of the photographs. So these windings that I showed to to Mark ignited a conversation where he started talking to me about the micromorphology analysis of the site, which is basically these thin sections which are taken from the archaeological site, but it shows, I guess it's like all the different components or different materials that are in there. They're, they're conducted by his colleagues, Charlie French and T Tonko, who make these sort of, yeah, thin sections which are on glass and they're incredibly beautiful objects in themselves, but weirdly have quite visually an interesting relationship between these windings that I was making. So I started kind of thinking about this fabric, I guess, of the soils and of the fan clay and these different kind of bits of material that were inside them. This then kind of developed, I guess, my thinking in terms of what the performance might might look like and what, what kind of costumes the performers might wear. So the I developed these costumes for the performance, which are I, all hand-dyed, and they're a kind of lemony, high-vis yellow. And the reason that they're that colour is because, I guess, looking at the site and what kind of colours are represented there, the archaeologists have to wear these yellow jackets and the um, quarry workers all wear orange jackets. Um, but it's obviously for practicality, so you can stand out on the site. But anything else, any tools, any materials that are used there that are not natural are all bright coloured. So welcome to King's Dyke. Um, this is uh, Musfarm Quarry. Um, we've got a variety of, we've come from the Bronze Age right down to Jurassic Age on this site. So there's a lot of interest on this site. 
Um, so in terms of health and safety for today is um, I'll be point of contact along with Alan, who's the lead man for the quarry. But so um, I'll be the duty first aider for the site. Um, so if any of you are feeling unwell, have an accident. So the performance itself took place in October 2019, um, and it featured 12 performers. Members of the public were invited to come along to the performance, but it was quite a small audience again because of the sort of the restriction in numbers was because of the, the particular site that it was in. But audience members would arrive at Peterborough Station, be picked up and taken to Must Farm Quarry, where they were given a health and safety briefing by a member from Fatara and invited to put on some health and safety equipment. Um, and then the audience was invited to walk down and into the quarry for the performance. That was about a 10 minute walk from the entry of the entry point of the quarry itself and then they walked on into the quarry where there was the the performers so the performance was called deep deep and deepening it was around 30 minutes long and the kind of choreography of the performance was inspired by the research that I've done over the last two years observing I guess how the quarry operates the movements that the archaeologists are making but also the quarry workers the machines the kind of day-to-day -day movements of it. Also think I was kind of interested also in the performance of thinking about the fact that the site would always have been inhabited by people. So 4,000 years ago, we know it was inhabited by people in the Bronze Age, but what kinds of movements that they're maybe doing are very similar to actually what we're doing now and thinking about what that might be in the future as well. So this kind of, I guess for me, somehow, of trying to compress time in the same way that the objects that we find or the archaeologists have found on the site somehow ellipse time. Fabric unit two. Fabric, Fabric unit two. 40% very fine quartz. The performance in terms of the structure was in three sections. The first section was a kind of spoken word section taken inspiration from the micromorphology report of Must Farm. When it's read out, I feel like it really becomes something quite rhythmical. And the words, although they might not be words that we're familiar with, but they kind of speak to the landscape or give you a kind of feeling of what the texture or those kinds of movements that the landscape have done or are currently doing or what they're gonna do. And then the second section was kind of more rhythmical, but kind of people kind of working with bricks, kind of rhythm was built up with that. And then the third section was um, using these HODs, these kind of performance tools, which I made, which could be used both kind of sculpturally, but also um, to create sound. So the performers that I worked with were um, about ha about half of them were people that I had worked with before. I guess in the last four or five years, I've worked more and more with performance or dance, independent dance artists. And I tend to 
keep working with the same people or kind of as that network grows you know and I need more performers that um, those new connections are made through the people that I've worked with what was quite exciting for me was like I guess expanding that network as well but in terms of developing the choreography of it it was very much done in collaboration with some of the performers Um, we did a rehearsal that was on site the week before the performance and we got absolutely torrential rain and ended up actually having to do most of the rehearsal in the clay store of the quarry. And then we had a further rehearsal in London where some of those movements were sort of developed a bit further and then um, finally presented in the quarry on the day. So we had a dress rehearsal in the morning just before the the actual performance to members of the public. I guess because of also the logistics of where the performance was, you know, in terms of it, it being outside as well, that was quite an interesting challenge for me I'd never I've never presented a performance in that way outside where you know the weather it's a quite an important player in the performance too it's been quite interesting because obviously both Mark and Alan Fratera are new collaborators on this project and neither of them had really seen my work before other than me speaking about it and I think that was quite exciting for me I mean I guess without both of those parties the work wouldn't have been possible without the generosity of, of of them being a lot, you know, enabling me to accompany Mark and his team into the quarry or indeed for Alan and, and Kevin, you know, bringing me around in their trucks around the quarry. Without them, the performance wouldn't have been possible at all. I, a week before the performance, Alan um, was Skyping me in the quarry so that we could kind of set up the kind of stage area or the kind of performance area and then also to build these the seating for the performers so i think quite early on um rosie and i discussed how the work was going to be presented at norwich castle whether it was going to be presented within the gallery space or if for example, presenting it somehow within the archaeological spaces would be more appropriate. And that was it was quite early on, actually, in the project. But I think both of us felt like the most appropriate space for the work was within the archaeological space. Um, also, quite early on, I, I decided that I wanted to somehow represent the work as a film. And following the performance, I started thinking about how that work was going to move into being a a video work. It took quite a long time for me to be able to, I guess in terms of the timeline, it was quite compressed because the performance was in October 2019 and the exhibition was due to open at Norwich Castle a couple of months later. So I suppose I had to really think quite quickly about how I was going to approach the footage. I, at that point, returned to some of the footage that I had been gathering over the course of the research which I didn't think I was going to use um, initially and started thinking about how the the you know the footage this kind of I guess pre-footage of pre the performance how that was going to sit alongside this slightly different footage which was was from the performance but also how to tackle editing the performance footage and this not becoming just a kind of documentation of of the performance and and it becoming something else. Um, so the the film itself is edited 
using, I guess, most of this research footage at the beginning as a kind of preamble before it gets into the introduction of the performance via the micromorphology analysis report. And then the performance footage has been significantly um, edited down from, you know, in terms of the length of the performance. I've then also introduced some new footage into the, the film itself. So this includes um, some f additional footage that I filmed on the day of the performance of the um, performers eating chips in the quarry. And this is, I guess, me wanting to film that footage in particular is because one of the first times that I met Mark and his team, they took me for fish and chips. Um, I think it was a Friday and we went and sat in this field, um, a farmer's field. And, he, you know, Mark knows the farmer and we, we all tucked into fish and chips and it was a beautiful sunny day. And the fish and chips were from the, the local one in, in Whittlesea, which is actually where I think Alan went to get the fish and chips for the performers. But for me, it felt really important to somehow capture that moment within the film. Also, the smell of, of chips is something that's always on site because the McCain's chip factory is there so there's this really weird smell of of chips um the whole time when you're on site um so I used some of that footage and then also um I filmed some additional footage of the Bronze Age vessels which are handled by the performers so as part of the exhibition at Norwich Castle um displayed alongside the film are 12 Bronze Age vessels, which are on loan from Cambridge Archaeological Unit. But it felt really important that the vessels somehow were represented also within the film. So there's a section where the performers are passing these vessels from one person to another. And in a way, this kind of echoing within the performance, this set the, the performance section where bricks are being passed from one person to another, this kind of exchange of information. And for me, also the fact that you know, the the site um, itself makes these bricks and the bricks are being quarried from the ground, from the Oxford clay, and they contain with them all this information from the ground, but they're also very human in scale. Um, but the connection with these vessels are also that they're very human in scale, that they potentially would have been made from the clay on site as well. So I guess these two materials, whilst they look quite different, are basically made of the same thing. The film is um, displayed alongside the 12 Bronze Age vessels and I worked with the, the team there at Norwich Castle to develop a display for them which are using this kind of high-vis yellow um, perspex. The flooring has been replaced with this um, grey sort of ridged carpet tile to kind of make a connection with the colour of the quarry. There is a bench and the bench is built um, using the same bricks from the quarry that the performance people attending the performance would have sat on. Um, so you sit on this bench to watch the film. And then there's also six pods or the performance tools that are used within the performance and they're displayed within the space as well. Um, and they still have the kind of traces and muck and dirt from the performances on them. I 
suppose in terms of the commission, I'm really, um, it's really made me think about how I can work a bit more within the landscape. And I suppose also thinking about how important it is to think about, yeah, how pe- I suppose one of the things that I've really find exciting is, is thinking about how people use the landscape and how they've informed it through time. The way that I tend to work is that whilst I do work in a really collaborative way, um, you know, working with specialists and across disciplines, and that the reason I do that is because, you know, those people that I work with have such a knowledge that I wouldn't have otherwise. And I really hope that those conversations are really open and are, are a two-way conversation. And the collaborators that I work with, I work with them over quite a long period of time. So I do feel like this is really only the beginning of conversations that I will hopefully have with Mark or with Alan um, or with with the CIU. You know, I feel like I'm really only at the beginning of really understanding that landscape or those kind of languages. You can see all 270 nominated locations alongside details of each of the 10 artists' projects at www.newgeographies.uk. New Geographies has been produced by Art Exchange, East Gallery NUA, First Sight, Focal Point Gallery, Kettles Yard, Norwich Castle Museum and Art Gallery, Original Projects, UH Arts and Wising Arts Centre. New Geographies is supported by Arts Council England. <laughs>